Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 191, We Want to Sign Your Game. Presented by Nicole Perry, Peter Hayward, and Kurt Covert. Bring chairs to the room. Uh, we're recording this panel. Don't say anything you don't want on the internet. Okay. Cool. Hi, everyone. Uh, so this panel is, we want to publish your game. So just by attending, you've guaranteed a contract. It's great. It's a really uh, <laughs> nice job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them through Smirk and Dagger. It's going to be a, a, a bumper next year. Uh, so I'm, I'm Peter Hayward. Uh, uh, Peter C. Hayward from Jellybean Games. I'm Nicole Perry from Jellybean Games. And I'm Kurt Covert with Smirk and Dagger. And... And smirk and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the intent of this panel is just to talk about the fact that as publishers, we take hundreds of pitches a year. Uh, I'd say Kurt probably takes more than me because he goes to more things, but like literally between us, veering on thousands a year. Uh, and we sign very, very few of those. And that's not like a power trip. It's not because we're like, ha ha, we want to watch you suffer. Well, from my point of view, I can't. I, <laughs> you guys I know me. So. <laughs> uh, we genuinely, like, we don't sit through. We don't uh, sit through is a more accurate term than I intended to use. Uh, we don't go through hundreds to thousands of pitches because we enjoy the process as much as it's like genuinely because we want to publish designers games like that's why we do it for that uh, if, I, I used to work in, in film and if you've heard of the slush pile or, or um, publishing as well the slush pile is all of the m documents all of the manuscripts that come in and someone's full-time job is to sit there and go through them and say no to them because none of them are worth saying yes to except for maybe one in like 2000 or something like that and when you f like you're reading them not for the joy of reading through the slush pile it's for the joy of like for the chance to find that diamond in the rough you really, 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 as a publisher, as a slush pile reader, as whatever, you want to find that game that you can publish. And it's very rare. But yeah, we genuinely want to publish your games. And so we just wanted to do a panel to talk about what, uh, what can be done to help us actually publish your game, which is what we want to do. That is the goal. Saying no to 99% of them is not the goal. It's just the inevitable consequence of the fact that we can't say yes to many of them. Uh, does that make sense? Cool. Um, Is that it then? That's it, yeah, yeah, oh. cool. Uh, <laughs> establish that fact, we're done. Uh, and so there's, there's, a, there's a few things, and we'll, we don't have really have a structure necessarily, it's going to bounce between ideas. Um, I'm loquacious, so jump in and interrupt me anytime you like. Sure. I'm okay with that. Uh, so part of it is that every publisher has a thing that they do. So Jellybean Games, uh, we have a, a very clear mission statement, which is kid-friendly games that grown-ups love. Games that you can play with your kids as an adult, games that adults can play and enjoy, or games that kids can play by themselves. And that is really specific. Like, there are dozens of games that have ever existed that fulfill those criteria. And, and then more recently, we've had uh, more specific uh, requirements. Yeah in that we're looking for games that can um, have sequels to them, 
or yeah. like living the tiger where we have multiple uses with yeah. the same components so if, if you go like we publish what we're looking for at jellybean.games slash submissions we really clearly state exactly what we're looking for and i have published all but one of our games uh, so i have designed all but one of our games not because i'm a maniacal egotist but because like we have these re not only because I'm a maniacal egotist <laughs> but because we have these very specific conditions and none of the none of the things that come to us fulfill those and you design specifically toward yeah. that goal I, I don't design a game and I'm like oh it happens to fit this I look at that and I design that game so every publisher has a thing that they're looking for Kurt what, what do you what do your two brands look for in games right so for 14 years I did nothing but backstabbing games kind of made a, a reputation on that um, but um, now that um, I'm publishing six games a year, they can't all be amazing backstabbers. So now I have Smirk and Laughter, which is uh, my imprint. Of the total brand, we're looking for games that create some kind of emotional reaction at the table. I love games that engage you mentally, but I want you to feel something while you play. And um, that can be really anything. So. Backstabbing was great because it was, you know, it was the the feeling of betrayal. Yeah, the, the 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 joy of like planning, plotting their demise, seeing it come to fruition, laughing. They're cursing your name, and the, <laughs> you're trying to get revenge. All that is wonderful emotional stuff. But now we've got a really heartwarming storytelling game. Now we've got um, a very heart racing, uh, heart racing uh, paramedics kind of a game. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. So. Um, but anything that kind of like you experience at the table and feel, to me that's kind of a memorable game and that's what we're looking for, so. So yeah, so the, the first thing is like, we want to publish a game, but if you bring us, if you bring Kurt, like Lanterns, Lanterns is a brilliant game. Right. I don't think you can publish Lanterns, right? Right, and I won't do an 8X. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, you, you just can't, you, you can't. Like, you want to publish the great games, but if they're not for you, right? Like you, you bring us uh, uh, Twilight Imperium. You know, you invent Twilight Imperium for the first time tomorrow. You bring it to us. We can't publish that. Like our our customers would be confused, and uh, they'd buy it for their kids and be like, "Go play this, kids," and they would not have a good time. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, like I said, we explicitly list our submission guidelines: jellybean.game/submissions, and we most, want to publish that. <laughs> yeah, most publishers, by the way, do that. The problem and challenge for you guys is that it's very clear to us, even if we express it as much as we can, it still has nuances that, you know, I don't know, I've got something that has like a take that mechanic in it, so I think that it would be great for Smirk and Dagger. And yet, when I look at it, sometimes I'm like, well, it's a take that mechanic without it being a take that in, in, game in a city focused game on. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so, and it's almost like it's, it doesn't actually belong in this game because all of a sudden it sets up an expectation like it doesn't feel like it should be a backstab and I've got this strategy and then all of a sudden it comes out of nowhere. Like, oh, now I don't like this game. I thought this was a strategy game. In any case, you were betrayed by the game. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. But in any case, all of these things are nuances that will be obvious to us that may not be obvious to you guys. But by looking at um, the kind of games that a publisher makes, you can start getting a better sense of what they might be open to. Um, and again, they're always happy to tell you also. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this industry more than like 
the slush pile industries, you can actually talk to the person who's going to be making the decisions and they will answer your questions with their voice into your ears. Like, you can't call HarperCollins and be like, yeah, put me, on, put me with your lead editor. Like, what, what are you after? <laughs> what are you after, Joe? He's not going to answer. Um, so, yeah, the first one for, like, is really designed... Like, when you... I mean, you can design to a publisher, and even if they don't pick it up, a lot of other publishers will. Like, you design an amazing uh, backstabbing betrayal game and pitch it to Kurt, and even if he's... He might say no because he's just published something similar. That doesn't mean that it's dead. Right. You know? Right. Um, so that's the first one. Yeah, yeah. Look at what the publisher actually wants, and... Honestly, like, design to that. Like, it's, it's, it's not like it's going to be a wasted idea or, you know, if, if Harbour says no, they're not the only people who do Harbour-style games. Uh, but especially don't, don't pitch a game that's going to be completely wrong for the publisher. Um, and it's really more about that. Quite honestly, you should design the game that you have the vision and passion for. Then it's a matter of finding the right publisher that matches with that. So... I think it takes a very special designer to be able to say, oh, they want this thing and I will now change my design style to fit that thing. That's a lot harder. That comes with experience. Yeah. Like, we, we have a few designers now who design yeah. to us and we don't necessarily pick them up, but we, we, they're in a much better spot, even yeah. for recommending, because we know the other people in our kind of field. Yeah, uh, we were at Essen and uh, Peter got pitched a game and he said, you know, this isn't right for us, but go talk to Julia Greenbrier. Yeah. Yeah. And she liked it. So. She was like, yes, this is a Greenbrier game. Um. Uh, and, and as well as that, I, I used to scout for a few companies, and even nowadays, someone will pitch me a game, and I'm like, look, that's wrong for me, but let me call Kurt. Like, I've, I've, I've brought you games, yes, and like, uh, this is not at all our style, but this is for you, and vice versa. You've been like, hey, show this to Peter and Jellybean. He might yeah. be interested. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the first one. Uh, Nicole, I want to throw over to you for uh, publishability. I'm going to say. Okay, so um, I handle most of the production aspect of our company, and so a lot of the times we'll get uh, uh, submissions that are for 20 to 30 minute games with 50 unique dice, or <laughs> 14 unique minis, and we will not be able to make that at a reasonable MSRP to sell if it's a 20 to 30 minute game. Yeah, um, and so how, how can people, do you think, like work out what how, how, how do you how do you overcome that discrepancy? Um, the best, my, my recommendations would be to streamline your components as much as possible. If you have dice, try to make them um, uh, uh, not unique. Try to make them try to use the same dice as much as possible, so you, we can use the same molds. We can bring those costs down and make it something publishable. Yeah, no publisher is going to be like uh, this has this has too few components. Uh, like you can add in components very easily. I mean, some, sometimes if it's like a, a two-hour experience with five cards, then the publisher's going to be like, uh, <laughs> I don't know who's going to buy this. But it's, it's much, much easier to put stuff in than it is to strip stuff out. True. And, and, I, but I, and I do think that uh, it is the publisher's role to, to take a look at what you have and say, well, right, these don't have to be full minis. These could be standees. Or, you know, we can do a lot of those things. But understanding what our decision process is and some, what some of those costs can, can be for, we're making a, as we're hearing you know, about the game, we're also doing evaluation. We know that eventually we have to put a price on this box and we have to sell it to a consumer at a show for face to face. Does the game experience feel like a $20 game or a $50 game? 
And those things have to match up, and your components will have to align to that. And um, to that aspect, be receptive to the recommendations that a publisher is giving you. Um, it, we're not you know, trying to change it just for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, we're not trying to crush your dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if there are things that you can do to adjust your design in a way that makes it a more uh, marketable product, uh, listen to those recommendations. Not, uh, obviously, you don't always have to follow them, but um, generally we are trying to help. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we want to publish your <laughs> game. <laughs> like really, everything we say when, when we're pitched a game, every bit of feedback we give, every conversation that we're having is because we are trying to get this idea that you've got to a game and there are stumbling blocks that are outside of our control and there are some that are inside our control. <coughs> and uh, yeah, I, I used to uh, dev for a company and it was, it was a little trick taking game, it was very cute. And at one point we realized an eternal loop. Like with both players playing correctly, the game would literally go on for the rest of our lives. And so we came up with a fix. We That's sent a great value. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they had it in a $20 box. I was like, what are you doing? This is, this is a million dollar game right here. Um, the correct move for both players resulted in a loop that went on forever and the game never ended. And that wasn't fun. And so we fixed it and sent it back to the designers. And they're like, no, we liked our version better. And you're like, well, we can't. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was a bewildering conversation. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I want to talk about briefly, and this is uh, this is kind of a, I guess a taste thing, is that there are games that people will buy and won't buy, and there's it, it's a thin line. This, this is why I'm kind of reluctant to talk about this. There, uh, there's a thin line between an overdone theme and an impossible to sell theme. You want yes. you want to hit unique, but not so unique that no one wants to buy it. Uh, at one point, I got I got pitched a game about businessmen sorting through trash, and they were like, "No one's done this." It is unique. <laughs> and I was Rats. like, "No one wants to buy that." <laughs> uh, so, have you got have you had experience with this? Uh, yes. Um, and 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 honestly, some themes are just polarizing, um, and that that theme will work with some publishers. Um, and not work for others. Personally, I just won't touch a politically charged game. Um, just because um, I don't want to, um, I don't want to get so niche that I, I cut out half my audience just because of the theme. Secret Hitler? Interesting. So when I first saw the title of that game, <coughs> I was put off by it. A little bit. The game itself is really solid. Yeah. I really enjoy the game. Um, and I think in this case, that has brought more people in than out, and I don't know why. I mean, they get, they get a bit of a pass of being cards against humanity. Exactly. Like they, have, yeah. they have an inbuilt audience of millions at this point who are like a little bit edgy, give it to me. Not edgy enough that I can't play it with grandma, but yeah. like a little bit edgy. They but there's nothing about that game itself that is offensive, and that's the other piece yeah. of it. There's, I mean, the gameplay is not polarizing necessarily. But so. they are definitely the exception and not the norm. They are, yes, yes. Yeah, and especially uh, worth noting is that um, Secret Hitler is not set in modern day politics. Very, very, very few people these days uh, were involved in politics at that time, um, and doing doing a doing a current Republican versus Democrats game, you're immediately going to divide the U.S. audience. Like immediately, that, that's just going to happen. Yeah. 
I, I saw, I think, a year ago, two years ago, uh, a game about immigration, which the game itself was kind of interesting, and I said, you know, this is a polarizing topic. So um, if that is your vision, and by the way, he actually worked, I, I think, on the a, a, a immigration council for, for the, the government. So for him, it was like kind of educational. I was like, yeah, but he had like lots of heavy stereotypes. And I was like, that's not what you want in your game. So yeah. you know what? This game works if we're on a space station and there's all kinds of alien you know, species. It somehow you call it, it illegal alien. Right. It, 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 <laughs> and it and it felt it, it might it, it would take a little bit of the of the edge off that makes it just a little too squirmy. But you yeah. know, anyway. Have Have you ever rethemed a game? Like, have you been pitched a game and been like, "This is a great game. Let's change the theme." I have adjusted, but I haven't whole scale changed. Yeah. yeah. What? Why did? Why did? What did you adjust and why? Uh, let's see. Did I? I gotta, I gotta see now. Give me a minute. Put him on the spot. I gotta, yeah. I gotta <laughs> think about this one. <laughs> oh, so um, so student bodies um was a a zombie game, um right, and um and it was um it was pitched as very very um dark. You know, the art was dark and, you know, uh, but it was about high school kids running through the hallways of their school with the horde behind them, find the antidote, and then get back out through the horde that is, like, chasing them. And it was one of those, like, you know, I don't have to run faster than the zombies, just yeah, yeah, faster than you, yeah. which was, you know, super fun. But, um, but I, it, was, it felt too dark, and there were too many games that looked and felt like that so I want. I gave it more of like I. If this was Buffy the animated series, what would it look like and yeah. feel like? Yeah. So it was a modification of the of the tone and attitude. Um, sadly, I think it was probably <coughs> too late. There were too many zombie games at the time, and it, it didn't help it. Yeah. And I, I could have made that game about escaping Area Fifty One, and it might have done better. Quite honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a. It's a thin line between, like, you don't want to make another zombie game uh, because there are several of those already. But you also don't want to make a game that no one's ever, ever made for a reason. Uh, and that, that's as useful as I can make that advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're, the, they're the, the key points that we kind of wanted to hit on before we, we took any questions. Oh, I, I, I got some more. Oh, yeah, I got some more. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> when? When do you take a design and bring it to a publisher. I think this is one of the the um, hardest to kind of feel your way through and, and, and grok, but understanding what's gonna happen once we receive it will help solidify this in your head. Um, in general, it should be as tight and finished mechanically as you possibly can get it. Um, get, this is kind of a different environment because this is dedicated to kicking the tires on prototypes and getting professional input as well as peer-to-peer -peer input. So this is a, a different environment. Sloppy is good here almost. Yes, um, but if, uh, if you email me, you see me at another show and you're like, hey, I've got something to show you, 
my expectation is that all your tire kicking and you know massaging is you've taken it as far as you possibly can you think this is as perfect as it possibly can be you need to be happy for it to be printed mechanically as is right now it's not that we won't take a look at it and make suggestions and recommendations and help you develop it further we absolutely will but you got to take it as far as you can and the reason is i have i have a very specific barometer when i when i say oh you know what i i really enjoyed this game let me take the prototype in um, I'm, you know, I'm gonna kick it around. I'm gonna share it with other folks, and they're gonna pe be people, you know, just like when you test. Hopefully, it's not necessarily with people who know you, but people who don't know you, who are not afraid to tell you that the baby is ugly, right? So I do the same thing. I want to show it to people who have no idea who I am, or who I trust will tell me the real deal. Um, what I'm waiting for, and I wait. There's a tendency for all of us as designers to, you know, after the demo is done, what did you, what did you think, <laughs> right? You have placed upon them an uncomfortable situation which says, oh, you know what, this is a lot of fun. You're going to get that reaction if you ask. Now, gamers will also tell you, hey, think about this, that, the other thing, because we're gamers and that's just what we do. Um, People are nice is what you say. Yes. Um, but what, what you should get in the habit of doing is sitting in silence at the end of your game and listen to the initial reactions as they come in. And just look around the table, eye to eye. People will end up saying something. But now it's something that they generally come away from the table with. It's a lot more organic than that. Yeah, and what I listen for, the key to whether I think, you know, assuming it fits my filter for does it feel like my game, now I'm looking for is this a publishable game? Is this something that is going to create desire to own? And I'm waiting for at least one person at every demo to, to like consistently come up and say, dude, when is this coming out? Can I buy this prototype? You know, some of you have had games where that is absolutely the case. Um, certainly, I've shown lots of games from designers where that is the case. And as soon as I hear that consistently, I'm like, this is a game that can, that, sell. That can sell. Because I've already just sold it. Yeah. Um, so, until you start getting that kind of natural reaction to your designs, it's probably not quite there yet. Now, that may not be a problem in the mechanics per se. That might be a it might be a marketing thing. It might be the the tonality of the game. It might be the the, the experience they're having. But the prototype is too obviously homemade, so they're like, "Well, I can't buy this." Uh, you no, know what? I don't I don't think that's the I don't think that's the case because because gamers know that the the goal of everything you're doing is, you know, especially now with Kickstarter, every single one of you could have that on Kickstarter tomorrow, and I want to be part of that. That is a reality in gamers' minds. So they will they will let you know if they're like, ah, this is awesome. Is there like a mailing list or whatever? Yeah. That's what you need to wait for to, to say, this is time, if I'm gonna show a publisher, now I know this is ready. Because I'm gonna get the same reactions you just got, and that's gonna convince me that when I actually put all the money into the development, the art, and publishing it, <coughs> that I've got 
an audience for the game that is ready to pay cash for it. So that is probably my most important bit of... Uh, there's, uh, there's, yeah. there's kind of two things I've found that lead up to that often. Sure. One is at the end people are discussing what happened in the game, not what the game should change. Yes. Uh, that's a big one for me. I, I know the game's on the right track, but at the end people are like, oh, I wish two turns ago I'd done that, or like, that was really cool how you did that, rather than like, well, this is broken, this is broken, this is broken. Like, that, that's an obvious one. Yes. And the other one, and this is a big one for me, is when people are asking you if they can play that game. Um, if no one is ever asking, hey, that game that we played once, you know, can we try it again? Uh, that's, that's, that's a less than ideal sign. You really want people requesting your game, because if people are requesting it, then that's a sign that they want to play it again. If they want to play it again, they want to buy it, and that leads into what we're yes. talking about. Yes. Uh, another thing I want to discuss is um, how to approach publisher. Uh, so for us, like I said, we have we have insanely specific conditions. If you ever seen our site, like they are, they are, we put that page up because people pitch us and we're like, this is a good game that we can't publish because our conditions are so specific. And when you're emailing a publisher. A sell sheet is really helpful for us to just cross things off the list. Um, a sell sheet doesn't need to be super pretty. It just needs to have the game's name, the play account, the time, the core mechanic, or like what makes this stand out. And the components. I, yeah, component list is, is vital for, for Nicole's end of thing. Ideally, a picture of it on the table and your contact details. Is there anything I'm missing from sell sheets? Um, time? I think, I think, yeah. you, I think you, you by and large said it, but... Um, the hook of the game. Yeah. What makes the game special in players' minds? Um, or if it's 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 the inherent marketing of your game, because all of these games need to be sold. So, um, and I'm, when I talk about marketing, I'm not talking about advertising and banner ads and things like that. But you've built a product, and that product has a series of benefits that make it special. You know because you have built them in there and you know what those special qualities are. Make sure we know what those special qualities of the game are that set it apart and make it interesting and compelling. Now some of it might just be woven into the theme or there might be some super cool mechanic that you put in there that deserves special attention. It does not have to be a very long paragraph. Like, a couple sentences of description is really all it needs. If you can't put it into a couple of sentences, that's generally a bad sign. Yeah. Especially with the number, how many games released this year? 200 million? Uh, there's so many games come out every year that like people will make their decision very quickly based on a few things. So if you can't describe... I think it's about 3,500 to 5,000 unique games yeah. per year. It's, 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 it's a lot. Um, and if you can't describe why people should buy your games in a few sentences, people are not going to buy your game. And the reason should never be because I made it, uh, which is something that I encounter a lot. People are like, this is a really good game. I'm like, why? And they're like, I like it. I, I made this game. It's special to me. And I'm like, that's, that's really nice. And I'm glad that you did that. But uh, my aunt is not going to buy the game for that reason. My aunt buys a lot of games. She's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and just so you know, if you've done the sell sheet right, all you're doing is you're setting the hook. You're saying, you know, here's why you need to pay attention to this one, because here's some really cool things about it that I think are going to be perfect for exactly what you do, right? So, now I, I, I read the sell sheet, I take a look at the contents and what the theme is and whatever that core cool thing is that you told me about. I was like, you know what? 
that already feels like not for me. Thanks very much, doesn't sound like the kind of thing that we do. Or, I have a couple extra questions. Um, oh, could you send me the rules sheet? Do you have a video of that being played? Um, do you have a video? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of different things that can happen from there as we get just a little <coughs> bit more information. Um, so the sell sheet is just that. You're kind of selling the, the nugget of the idea, and it really helps a publisher. One, it makes you guys look a lot more professional, and that's definitely where you want to be perceived. Um, and then two, um, it's just you're more likely to get more consideration because you've approached professionally, you've given us something that we can react to quickly since we do see so many all, all the time. Um, and we can, we can get right back to you with a tell me more or thanks, but not for thanks us. For thanks. Yeah. And on that line, um, before you contact a publisher, do some research, see if there is a submission guideline and reference that you've read it if there is yeah. one because that is already going to set you so far apart from all the other <laughs> submissions that we've seen and we know that you've you've spent some time and you know what we're looking for and that already makes you stand out yeah that'll be on the website for almost every publisher i think yeah uh, our submission guidelines specifically says mention that you've read these <laughs> if i don't i just delete them like oh really i uh, really am like if you can't read this one page wow. and say that you've read it I'm not going to look at you. <laughs> you feel betrayed. So I'm not with him. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, while we're on unpopular opinions, uh, <laughs> genuinely, like as a publisher, for me, the dream would be that not quite as mercenary as this, but that you had a sell sheet in mind when you designed the game, and that that might be a philosophical difference that some people are like, no, you should follow your heart. But I'm seriously like, if you if your goal is to get your game in shelves or on shelves in publishers' hands, you want to get your game made work out why it's going to sell and build that game. And I assume everyone here is a gamer. It's as simple as like, what's the game that you actually really want to play? Make that game. Because if you really actually want to play it, I guarantee other people will. And the more that you do it, the more that you like play the games that you love and you're like, why do I love this? What does this do differently? What does not exist right now? And it, it's that like, I, I, I wonder if designers sometimes, I see a lot of games, and I wonder if people are just like, what could I make? And what could I make is very different to what would sell. Like, if you're a new designer, like, my advice to new designers is always make 10 games. Like, just make 10 games, because by the end of each of those games, you'll be better and better and better and better. At the end of 10 games, then you can be like, okay, now how can I sell a game? Um, but if, if you design from what would actually sell and start as that and then build out from there, and you've got enough design chops to make that into a good game, that is, I think, 100 times more likely to sell than what is my current, like, uh, uh, bite off more than you can chew, genuinely. Like, what's your dream game? Make that. What's the game that you really desperately want to play? Make that game, because other people will desperately want to play it, and that means that people want to buy it, and that means that publishers will want to publish it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll and I, again, I, I'm taking exactly what you said and just tweaking a word. Make the game that you want to buy. Yeah. And, so it's not just something that you have a, a personal joy for, which it starts with that, but when you put the idea of your game on that same shelf with all the competition, especially if it's, you know, um, uh, if it is a zombie game, yeah. right? You have to imagine why with all those zombie games, and you have to be able to tell me why this one. 
And that's that intrinsic marketing that is part of your sell sheet, that is part of your design yeah. that you're talking about. It's an outside-in approach rather than inside-out approach. Yes. Yep. Um, that's gone. Oh yeah, uh, another really useful question to ask if you're considering uh, taking this to publishers before you do is, you know, people have played the game and been like, that was really good. Be like, great. How much would you pay for it right now? It's a great question. Uh, and if the answer is like, well, qu quite often you'll get this. Everyone will be like, this is a great game. I really enjoyed this. I would play this again. Great. How much would you all pay for it right now? And like that, that kind of reluctant shrug is the death knell <laughs> of a game. Uh, that games with that reluctant shrug when they do get published they often don't get a second print or they don't sell out their first print run because everyone likes it but not but, enough to buy it but not enough to buy it right I often hear things like uh, you know given a, a, a question like that because I, I ask a, a similar thing um, sometimes sometimes they don't know how to answer it because people are not used to that kind of question um, but you can tell the people who are more hesitant like oh yeah, would I actually pay for it? Yeah. And then um, sometimes like, you'll get, well, I mean, this is a game that if I if, if my friend had it, oh, I'd, I'd definitely play it. <laughs> but I don't know if it's one that I would buy. People will make that distinction for you. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's an interesting one because what it says is your game is enjoyable, but it's missing the critical piece that would have made the sale. Um, and... As you start talking to people with that kind of questioning, you're going to be able to start ferreting out those little nuances that are going to take it from solid game to saleable game. And that's the job that we're tasked with. So if you guys have already figured out that you've got that nugget that makes it saleable, well, that yes comes a lot easier. Because when we take it out and, and put it through the paces, we're going to get the same feedback you did. Yeah, that, that, that golf is one of the biggest ones in any field. Yeah. Um, I see it more in game design because that's the field in which I work. But like that golf from like, this is good to I would buy that is, is a hard one to cross. So like, don't, don't feel discouraged um, if, if you're not there. Just keep on making more games and more games and more games and you will get better and better at it. And especially, I really think uh, a deliberate design of like, okay, you know, I've, I've got the hang of games now. I've made five or six I know how to make a game that functions from start to end, and that is a big milestone. That took me many years to be like, oh, you can play this game twice in a row and have a good time both times. <laughs> uh, once you've got that, then start being like, okay, what is a game that I would buy? What is a game that I would pay for and design from there? And that's, it's, a, it's a weird mindset, but if you can get the hang of that, and uh, I assume everyone's familiar with John Gilmore, Dead of Winter, Dinosaur Island. He is probably the master of this, like more than anyone I know, he could sit down and be like, okay, what is a game that would sell? I'm gonna make that game. And he does, and it sells. <laughs> over and over and over again. He's very good at that. Mm. Uh, did you have anything else? Or do you wanna take some questions? Yeah, we can take some questions. Does anyone have any questions? Um, Sir sitting on the floor. Yeah, so I went to Gen Con when I, I was going around asking the publishers, and some thing I heard well, not trying to make it down hard me was some of them were talking about their uh, backlog. Like, oh, I'm interested, but I'm booked for the next two years. That is very common. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot to go from a, a prototype to a finished product with the art, with the marketing, with it scheduled in your lineup. And 
um, that shouldn't discourage you, but be prepared for there to be quite a long gap before yeah. it gets released. Um, How so? We, we've we've here's 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 a little insider secret for you. Uh, <laughs> you ready? You ready? Publishers can be booked for two years, but if your game is good enough, It'll you'll jump the line. Yeah, you really will. <laughs> yeah. So the two years might be a nice way of saying no. Have you found that? Um, in all I, your years pitching games? <laughs> well, so when, when, I, when I pitched games, uh, I was pitching to Hasbro, I was pitching to Mattel and uh, Endless Games, things like that. Um, and I don't know that I even got necessarily close enough to that answer. Yeah. You know, but um, but I, I agree that could be a, a veiled... Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean pub publishers are genuinely... Like, what are we booked up till... We were booked up to the end of next year. End of next year. So that's fluctuates. about a year ahead. Yeah, it yeah. It does fluctuate. And sometimes a project will drop out. Like, we, we've cancelled two projects in the last eight months, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's one that we're super excited for called Journey into Neverland that is, uh, we're eight months out just because of how much art it's going to take. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not just um, yeah. other projects that are more And so important. we have a scheduled lineup, but if one of our artists get sick or if we're like oh this needs a whole new thing like development has shown that then we suddenly have a gap so uh, the two years out thing I mean one if 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 you're not I don't know why you would ever be in a desperate rush other than I want a game out but like if they're saying yes in two years I would probably be inclined to go for it as a designer uh, ideally with an advance because otherwise you can just be on the shelf forever yes um, if, it, if it's more than a year, I would probably ask for an advance, and that's just a way of them putting skin in the game. Like if, yeah. if they won't pay, what two to five hundred dollars, whatever, depending on the size of your game and blah blah blah, uh, then it being two years out means that as other games come in, it might get bumped forever and eventually drop off. Um, that does happen sometimes. So either get an advance or, but like if if you've got an advance and they've committed to two years out, when a gap happens your game is there and they've signed it and they know that they like it and it's more likely to be shifted in than a new game, I would say. Uh, does that answer the question? Hmm? Does anyone else have a question? Uh, let's go with this gentleman because he's closest to me. <laughs> uh, do you think there's any point at which the industry is going to need the equivalent of literary agents for publishing? Uh, it's not a very profitable industry. <laughs> um, a literary agent takes a cut. I mean, for filtering the slush and everything like that. Not really. I mean, part part of the reason I, I don't think so, and if you, oh, if you disagree, really. part of the reason is because it's a hobby-driven market in a sense. Like, I suspect that the majority of people here at Metatopia don't make a living from this, or if they if they make money, it's it's not you know it's it's pay for the gardener money, which is a real thing that I didn't just make up. Um, yeah, but so. Yeah, well, I pay for him with board game money. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a garden. I live in, <laughs> I live in an apartment. So, no. Um, so, mo most people in this industry are... Like, the, the margin's very thin in this industry. And as it gets more and more... Like, what did you say? 5,000 games? 5,000 games a year. Like, ten, 10 years ago, that was... It was, like, under 1,000? Yeah, it was, it was less than 5,000. Um, and so... Sorry? Exponential growth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, what, and it, and uh, it's uncomfortable growth. You think it's a bubble? Is the consumer not... That, that's a whole other thing, but uh, to answer your first question, I think that literary agents are unlikely, uh, except for, fr from the publisher point of view, I think they're unlikely, because it's a job that we don't need. Like, we are, 
we, we see enough games that we want to publish, I think, that we don't need to hire someone to do that. Uh, if we did need to hire someone, it would probably be like a, a network thing rather than a, a person that we hire. Like, I see a game, I'll bring it to Kurt or I'll bring it to Zev or I'll bring it to whatever. And that happens not only at the publisher level, but at the designer level. Like, if enough right. designers play a game, then they'll be like, hey, by the way, Kurt, four of us like this game. Because, like, well, I trust you and your, and your game sensibilities. However, um, I do know that there are some designers who go to more shows and they'll take other designers' yes. games with them. That's so, true. Yeah, not from the publisher point of view, but from the designer point of view, I have seen that. And that's literally the designer giving up a cut of their game, or just a friend sometimes. Sometimes it's a friend. But often uh, often it's a friend, sometimes it's a cut of whatever royalties they get to someone who has the capacity to go to Essen, to go to Gen Con, to go to... And yeah. get the game in front of the publisher. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it would ever be a full-time position for anyone, but it is some, a service or, or a, a relationship that you can have. And as a designer, if you see a design that's really, really good and you know that it's perfect, you've read our, our page, if you email me and say, hey, I played a game, it's not my game, I played a game and I think it's for you, that actually carries more probably weight. more weight than someone pitching their own game. Yeah. So I think it'll be a network effect rather than a dedicated job. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Cool. Uh, man in the hat. I was gonna ask, what are the most popular bad ideas? <laughs> that is a great question. Wow. Um, for me, the one that I see the most, the two that I see the most are worker placement games with a hat on. Like, oh great, it's Lords of Waterdeep, but it's just got a hat on now. Like, why would I play this over Lords of Waterdeep? The hat's not good enough. To, like, Lords of Waterdeep, I think, is just one of the best designed games. Um, and there's just a lot of worker placement games. Like, it's a worker placement. But your worker does a zigzag. You're like, cool, it's, it's a worker Fixing placement. Fixing something that's not broken. Yeah, yeah. It's not notably improving on the system. It's just a twist on it, and that's just not good enough. That's really just not good enough. And the other one, uh, if you, there's a podcast called Board Game Design Lab, and I did a whole episode just about this. It's co-op games that don't have the structure of a co-op game. Mm. And if you ever hear the phrase of like, it's a co-op, but I don't think you make it competitive, like, no. That's not. That's two different fields. What? <laughs> you mean like diplomacy? No, no, no. That's a competitive game. See, semi-co-op is different. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm talking like a, like pandemic, but every man for themselves. And you're like, that's a different thing. Like that's a different beast right. entirely. Yeah. You can't just change one rule and change this co-op to a competitive. Or sometimes I'll play a competitive game. People are like, yeah, but I'm thinking of having all the same rules, but now it's a co-op. And you're like, that's no, yeah. So, uh, Board Game Design Lab, look for Peter C. Haywood, it's a good episode, uh, and I go into that in great detail. And he's completely unbiased on how good the episode is. Really handsome <laughs> guest, actually, though. That, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Are you got a question over there? Sorry. Because of the sheer amount of games coming out, does the price of what the components can cost actually deter from maybe a game being published, even if it's a good game? Uh. So, it's like, it's like the way and balance, basically, of saying, well, this is a really good game, but because of what it takes to actually make it, do you want to talk about $30 plus games first? Yeah, so we originally we specified in, in having uh, cheap games, um, everything we, we produce. Low cost like, games, not yeah, like. Yeah, <laughs> low cost games, um, uh, cheaper to make, cheaper to, um, to purchase, and um, we really wanted to stay under the $20 mark. But the problem is that when you have such a low profit margin, um, you're, you're really not making quite enough to sustain a company on it. Um, so right now we're focusing on $30 to $50 games, but that really 
it's really important to have components that match it. Um, we saw a game at Essen that was fun. Oh, that was a cool game, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to describe it. Uh, you, you're a, you've got a wire with a magnet on the end, and you build a 3D structure, and you bend the wire, then put it through a door, and try to pick up stuff with a magnet, all of you simultaneously. Cool idea, right? Like, I played it, it was really fun, but... But it needed, you know, 15 magnets, and um, it was going to be at least a, uh, a 40... 80, yeah. 80, like, yeah. when we were talking about doing it with wood, we were talking like an 80... Like oh, junk yeah, it was, like, it was actually uh, wood pieces, and, and it would be junk art, and, and it, it was going to be an $80 game to do it that way, and we'd have... We, we, we talked it down to, like, 45... And we'd have to do punch board, and then we realized that it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't capturing the essence of the original game, and that was why we passed on it. And yet... Um... He signed that game. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's doing it for $200? It's coming out? Uh... Um, we're also living, living in a very different world. Um, back in the day, in the 80s, when you got a board game... Huh, no one was alive back then. <laughs> trust, trust someone. <laughs> you used to get your token sheet, and sometimes you'd have to cut the tokens yourself. Mm -hmm. um, they'd be one color prints on parchment paper card stock and you're like you can't make a game like that anymore Kickstarter especially has turned the board game industry into a much higher level quality demanded by consumers across the board if it doesn't have some of the bells and whistles they're like Oh, standees, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dice Tower has that like five point thing that they go through, and one of them is just component quality. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's a fifth of the. I, I, I get it. No, but we actually we printed um, one of our card games on the thickest cardstock that the printer had, and one of one of the comments that we got was eh, cheap cardstock, and it's like, yeah. no. It's 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 crazy. So, um, sometimes uh, in this market you have to actually spend a little bit more on the components so you can be competitive so it feels like the value people are used to now getting. Um, a solid, solid game though is always gonna shine through the components. You can't hide. <laughs> yeah, you can't hide the ugly baby with a mountain of plastic. It's just not in the yeah. end going to really work. Yeah. Um, Some of the mini games. Yeah. Minis are great. Yeah. And game falls apart. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, just a, a quick question about um, what, what's the sort of uh, turnaround time? Say, for example, you agree to look at a prototype and test it out and, and that sort of thing. When when would uh, one normally expect to kind of hear back? It varies by publisher and it varies by season. And it really, on my end, varies by how well written your rules are. If I open them and I'm like, oh, I can play this now, I will probably play it in the next like week. If I open it, I'm like, this is going to be like an exhaustive day of diving in just to understand the game well enough, then it's going to be, it's, it's probably not coming off my shelf again. Generally, most of our pitches are taken during conventions, and yeah. that's um, if you contact us beforehand, we set up an appointment. And at that point, if you're pitching in person, we, you generally hear back from us within a few weeks, yeah, yeah. at least to know if we're like, remotely interested if we want to progress further and get a prototype. You might hear instantly on the spot, but if, if, hear, if, if the prototype is no taken, on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> if, if the prototype is, is, is taken in, 
then yeah, depending on the size of the staff of that company, depending on like how many conventions they're going to that month, I mean, it can really vary. So it's hard to give you like an exact answer. Um, oftentimes you'll have to just have a personal conversation with that publisher and say, well, generally what kind of window, because I've, I've had prototypes for as short a time as a week, week and a half before getting back to someone, or I've held something for a good couple, like four months. Um, just because I had a lot of stuff going on. So and at that point, there's no harm in following up. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's always fine to follow up. Yeah. Okay, we'll take uh, two more very quickly. Go. Uh, is there a world where you've pitched to a publisher and they said no for whatever reason, and then yes. maybe you've worked on it? Oh, there's more. Uh, <laughs> some more. You're thinking it was. You know, yeah, absolutely. And then you, is there a world where you can pitch it again? Yeah, to that end, absolutely. If I, if I look at it, I'm like. Yeah, it's not there yet. Like the drag, the, the, the magnet game I was talking about, he showed it to me at Gen Con. And I was like, look, I love this idea, but this is a hot mess at the moment. Sure. And so then he went away and worked on it. And we made, we made an appointment then and there for Essen. He was like, I'm going to work on this for two months. I'm going to take all your feedback. He showed it again at Essen. I was like, this is done. Now we actually start the consideration process. Yeah, and that's true of him too. Uh, and you, sir? And that same question. Oh, so thank okay. you. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, if somebody gives you a pitch for a game that you like and is in line with your company, What's something that can kill that pitch in the last 30 seconds? Um, whew, uh, I refuse to take feedback. <laughs> <laughs> That's tricky, yeah. Uh, it, so, it, so I've been pitched a game, I like it enough, it fits our insane, like you look it up and you'll be like, wow, this is specific, and it really is, because that's what we're trying to, we're trying to really specialize. Um, honestly, like from, from our business point of view, uh, Nicole runs the company. Like, I realize I'm the one talking, but she runs the company. Being rude to Nicole, and this has happened, is a deal breaker. Like, it absolutely is. Yeah, I've had, I've had people say, um, do you run this company with your husband? Or, um, okay. I'll wait until your, your partner comes. And yeah. um, I, I pr pretty much won't hand Peter the cell sheet at yeah. that point. Yeah, no, I don't want it. Like, um, fuck that person. <laughs> and I would say, broadly, it's, it's anything that is not becoming a be professional. Because, it, because yeah. quite honestly, this is this becomes a business partnership. Um, so I want to be a good business partner to you, and I want that back because our relationship is really going to be the foundation of success. Oh, I'll, I'll throw in one more because this has happened to us twice. Uh, we play the game, we love the game, we take the prototype, we discover it's already a published game. <laughs> like, not even kidding. People are either intentionally or unintentionally being like, "Oh, I like that game. I'm going to make something very similar," and then. I guess not men like not mentioning it because I'm like this is brilliant. Oh, it's like I don't have time to play every one of the five thousand games. Right. Uh, Paperback by Tim Fowers is brilliant. I played that and was like, this is that prototype I picked up. Like, didn't pick up contractually, yeah. but like, yeah. So that that would be another one. Cool. Uh, we have we got a few minutes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, in the very lucky situation where you have. A second company asks for a prototype while the first one still has it. Do you ask both whether they're okay with it, or do you ask the second one if they're okay? That's I mean, look, I have no issue with you, pit, like I have I as because I'm also a designer when I'm not publishing. I have no issue with like five companies having the same one that we're looking at. Until yeah, until That's your right. game's signed, you're free to pitch to as many publishers yeah. as you want. But this is a weird etiquette thing that I don't understand. You might have a better so, idea. So yeah, so the the etiquette that I think most publishers appreciate is. No one is going to, until they say, 
Here's a contract. Here's a contract. Let's let's do a thing. Even with a prototype, because I think somebody in another panel who's a publisher said that, that if they're you know if a company has a prototype, then they're seriously considering it. And, and sure, but un serious consideration is is not free. exclusivity, <laughs> right? So if if they want to hold the prototype exclusively, then you need to have some kind of you know here's a check for X hundred dollars just to say you know. I don't want you to show it to anyone. Yeah, that will happen certainly in like the mainstream toy and game uh, world. But until you've got it on paper, right. I think it's it's fine. Yeah, but but basically you should you should feel free to show it to any publisher. Um, but the etiquette part is, oh, by the way, um, I just want to let you know that I am sh continuing to show this. Yeah. And especially if you have been offered a contract, let the other publishers yes. know so we're not wasting our time still putting it on our table and considering it when it's already off the and table. If you sign the contract, definitely, definitely let us know. Uh, on, on that note, I, I saw I a game. Two contracts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Double the money. I saw a game at Gen Con that I liked so much that we actually put him into a six month development contract. Oh so I'm actively developing this game for the next six months. And at the end of it, uh, he if, if we don't sign it, he owns all the changes we made. But we we worked out terms for the sign that will happen. I think it will happen because it's amazing. Right, that kind of touch, I was going to add on to his. I, I was told on another panel before there where it's like, give him like, hey, here's the one if I give you exclusive rights, but like, you got two years, and if you don't get two years, I get it back. Yeah, I, 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 I would lean more towards getting advanced at that point because yeah. if a publisher is like, we don't make a lot of money. If we put money into it, we're way more likely. But yeah, I think every contract has a kill date if it's not published. Yes. That's standard, right? Yes. Okay. If, if you don't sign that, I, when I was a young and dumb designer, I signed one and looked at it later and found out that the kill date was $21.99. Uh, that game has not come out. <laughs> and I suspect won't. Yeah. I think we have time for one more. Okay, one more. So I'm just kind of expanding on the Shannon's question. So let's say you have it to uh, multiple um, publishers. They're looking at it and they're aware of this battle etiquette. One of the publishers comes back to put a contract. That's good. <laughs> You're not sure if it's the best contract the game can get. Sure. What is the etiquette of saying, can I have a week? Can of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Is there a, like, this guy. Can I have a year is probably too much. Right. But what, <laughs> what, what, what is that? I would be okay with, like, a month to two months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So, the, the converse, it's a conversation, right? right yeah, Again, yeah. you're about to be a business partner, right. so have the conversation. Hey, you know, um, thank you very much for this. I'm going to start like considering it. I, I, as I mentioned, I'm showing it to other people, and I'm waiting for just a little feedback to come in as well. I'm so as I start going through and, and looking carefully at your contract, um, I am going to need you know probably at least two weeks to, to get back to you, uh, just to be you know fairness to, to everyone. But um, and they'll say, oh well. Listen, we're really serious. We really want this, so make sure you don't sign anything else before you talk to us. Yeah, right. That's that's, that's, that's that conversation yeah. that's right. going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.